Hello and welcome to the Hot House Transplants podcast. I am your host, Matt Duffy. Thank you so much for joining me today. We are talking with the men and women who contributed to the Hot House Transplants book released back in 1997, over 25 years ago. You can see our website, hothousetransplants.com. That's where all the episodes are going to be released, the past ones, the future ones. I would encourage you, if you haven't, go back and listen to the first couple of episodes of the podcast. It's going to tell you a lot about why we're doing the podcast, and especially it's going to tell you about what the original Hot House Transplants book was about and why we did it in the first place. I hope you enjoy this episode, and thank you so much again for listening. Welcome to another episode of the Hot House Transplants podcast. I'm your co-host, Jesse Payne, here with Matt Duffy. I'm taking the reins from Matt for today. Uh, as you, if you had listened to the podcast previous to this, I sat down and interviewed him, turned the tables on him, or tables turned, I guess. No, how's that go? How the, I think you had it right the first the time. Turns tabled. There That's we go. That's definitely not right. That's definitely correct. No. Yes. Um, so I put him on the hot seat, getting sweaty palms, and interviewed him for his own podcast. So we are starting out part two in our interview. This is going to be round two of part two because for some odd reason, we got 15 minutes into recording our second episode and the power flickered, totally lost everything. I tried to salvage stuff on my computer and it was toast. So said file was corrupted and we were on a roll too. That was what was disappointing because you were making a lot of sense <laughs> and tying things all together beautifully. And uh, I mean, we'll make, we can make magic twice. We'll make magic twice. Oh, okay. okay. I was just thinking. I mean, it's simple. It's, it's fascinating. It's like, you know, the old adage, um, it, it, if, if you tell the truth, then telling it, you know, telling something, whatever is easy. Cause it's always the same thing. It's always the truth is when you're lying, you have to keep making it up and trying True. to figure it out. Yes. So when you're just doing the same thing over again, it's, it's not that complicated. It's the same stuff. You know? Yes. So, well, it, you right. just did it in a beautiful way. Let's well, just, hopefully we can, I was homeschooled. Hopefully we, we can recreate it. I mean, cause you were very creative as a homeschooler. So based on what you had said earlier in the, in the podcast, you know, it helped to bolster your creativity. Yeah, I think it's true. I think yeah. it's true. I mean, it's so funny because on, on, on the creative level, like I can't draw, I can't even draw stick figures. I'm not an artist in any capacity. Is that why you stuck to houses? Well, ironically, <laughs> probably because the, the ability to draw straight lines and, and angles and things that connect them and everything, uh -huh. I think uh, spatially. Okay. But I cannot do art. I can do music. I can play instruments, but I can't draw like art. Like, yeah. It's so funny. Like we have these different areas of creativity within us. Anyways, that's like really big segue or actually tangent, so. i mean it's a tangent i might come back to later so we'll just well you have all the authority in this circumstance <laughs> I, I am powerless i am innocent <laughs> no you're providing so. i am merely providing the bones and you are providing the meat so let's put some bones down good barbecue yeah so in the previous podcast we had we finished up by talking about kind of how things could fall if you don't believe that you're loved or lovable. And there were some lies that you were believing and that kind of could cause the dominoes to fall, right? Yeah. You, you left us with that wonderful, amazing soundbite <laughs> of the dominoes falling. So, An example of my world crashing around me? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh -huh. Those are glorious things. So let's see if we can uh, like talk about getting those dominoes set back up and maybe not even just setting them up, but building a house or an edifice as I recall that I used in used the, the deleted, the deleted version of the podcast uh, to see if uh, you can get that built on a proper foundation. So let's start there. Um, what was it that was the impetus in how you started to be convicted that maybe something was not all built on the correct foundation. You know, we were started out, so we started, let me back up. The, we started out the podcast in episode one, talking about how we got to know each other. And 
us going through the discipleship year one together and some breakthroughs that you made and those breakthroughs they kind of when you were giving me that story it kind of almost seemed like in my mind an apex or a precipice or, or the 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 top of a mountain right with the stories that you laid out in the first podcast being kind of the slope going up to the precipice well it was kind of an apex moment for you your understanding and then let's cover what was on that other side of that event not so what it what the apex was what caused it what you process through and then kind of where that has led you today how that has led you in fathering your kids and husbanding, I guess, being a husband to your wife in your work, um, just you as a man, where you're at today. And I, I, I think the, the domino idea fits because it does sort of do that. There is this, there's this almost thread that you can sort of track all along the way of these things developing and building on each other and building and building and building until you get to a point where you're just like, okay, now I can look back and see how this all developed into this particular point. And now at this particular point, you can look back and see how it all connects as well. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think what you're talking about a couple of years ago was the, do I need to have that closer? Just a little bit. Oh, okay. You can just kiss the mic. Was, 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 was going through that study, but getting to the core issue. You know, we, we talked about trying to meet people's expectations and a mm-hmm. lot of that, that gets developed. And I think what happened was when we were in that study was that was the first time that I think going through that I was forced to deal with the reality of what was really going on with me. You know, we were talking about in that the pride shame cycle, which for, for listeners who don't know what it is, it's basically this idea that in our spiritual journeys, we tend to look at our faith as something that's on our shoulders. We, we have the criteria that we think of as these are the things good Christians do, like going to church, reading your Bible, praying, um, having a good attitude, being nice to people, being loving, and in our own strength, then we pursue trying to make sure we do all of those things, whatever they are. And and the problem is that eventually we will fall short, we'll make a mistake, and that's the point where you can have shame because you failed. Mm-hmm. And then you try to claw your way back out of the shame, back up to the point where you feel good. And so there's, there's those moments of where oh, I failed or I screwed up or I'm in a bad place. I can't go to church. God wouldn't want me around because I'm, I'm a bad Christian right now. I need to get myself back where I feel good enough so I can go to church or go back to the relationship with God that I had before. And so we get ourselves into this pride-shame cycle. We go prideful and then we fall and we're in shame. We try to get back up to pride and then we, you know. Mm-hmm. And we were going through that and I was really struggling with it because for me growing up, and this will tie back, but but for me growing up, the, the thing that brought me spiritual pride or made me feel like I was a good Christian man was knowing my Bible, studying, being able to teach my, the Bible, um, being a man of prayer, and being in positions of authority or leadership. Those were the things that I pursued and longed for in my church. Those were the things that um, men were respected the most for, especially biblical knowledge and teaching and things like that. The, so the problem is when you fail... And you're in that lower part. And when you're in your shame, mm-hmm. the way that people would say, well, how do you get out of a time of shame? Well, read your Bible and pray. Which for me was the worst because that was the very thing that I would have pride in, which would put me in that place of yeah. being proud. Because here I am, I'm studying, I'm reading, I'm teaching, you know. Vicious cycle. And you guys were all in there, your group talking about it. And I was losing my mind trying to figure out how am I supposed to get out of this pride shame cycle when the thing that's causing me pride is the supposed cure to get out of my shame. And it was a very distinct moment for me when, as my brain was literally almost like, you can imagine like just spinning like a motor, and I felt like my brain was going to blow up. And then very clearly feeling like God spoke into that moment and telling me basically that that was not my problem. My problem was I didn't feel like I was lovable by God. Mm. And that was the moment where everything just stopped because it, it was true. When you break it all down, the things we were pursuing, the things I pursued my whole life, were things that I felt I needed to have or look like or do so that I could be 
loved or lovable by people. Um, the, the idea of acceptance, the idea of measuring up, the idea of meeting expectations, all of it ultimately was coming down to this idea that if you don't do those things, you're not lovable. And that was that moment where everything sort of just became so much clearer. And when I felt that, and then, and I felt like God was showing me very clearly that how ridiculous it was for me to believe that I was unlovable without being able to measure up in those areas. It's, it's, it's an anathema to the very heart of what the Bible tells us. But I believed it. Mm-hmm. I believed I was unlovable unless these things were going on. Mm. So that was really that life-changing moment for me to then all of a sudden have all this freedom and feel like I am lovable by God. And if I'm lovable by God, then I can let go of these expectations that I'm carrying with me in all of these different areas of my life. And that goes, as we were talking, it goes all the way back. I can sort of build this picture of me trying to measure up and try and be accepted and try mm-hmm. to be, you know, what I think I'm supposed to be. But that, that was sort of that moment that really took all of that apart and, and really took me down to the core of my issue, which was I'm not lovable mm. and gave me freedom, I should add, which is glorious now because I'm finally experiencing that where because I know I'm lovable as I am as a broken, flawed human being who's trying to follow Christ I'm perfectly fine now being insufficient in all sorts of ways and, and right. not being good at things. That, I have no issue with it anymore. It's not that I don't struggle or long for acclamation or praise still or respect. Mm-hmm. Those things still will creep up in a way that I know is unhealthy. But it is significantly easier to not want those things and not pursue those things now because I'm not looking to those to fulfill that desire within me anymore. Do you think that those expectations that kind of built that uh, shame part of the shame cycle. Actually, no, I'm sorry, built the pride of the, of the pride shame cycle. Were those expectations that were kind of developed by yourself that you developed or were those maybe expectations that were laid on you by your parents or um, somebody else that was in influence? So, you know, in full disclosure, we, we got to talk about this before the power went out. And, right. and that question to me was, was it's one of the things that really gets to the heart of, of, of my life and what I experienced. So, and the answer was, it's, it's both. One of the things that happened now, I look back and I can see it very clearly, but one of the big things that happened for me was there, that this expectation got made between my mom and I. What would happen was, in the homeschool process, she would I, would, I would do homework, I would turn it in, and she would use a phrase, um, you could have done better. And she did not intend for this to happen, but what ended up happening was I interpreted that as you're not good enough. Mm. And so growing up in my homeschool context, at least, and this is why from episode one, when I mentioned that she and I butted heads, you know, high, high school and college, it was because I felt like I, in her opinion, I did, wasn't good enough. And that, to have the, the idea of having your mother mm-hmm. think you're not good enough, I think was one of those things that I absorbed that caused me to then look for approval in other places or anywhere. Because if you can't get approval from your mother in, because you're not good enough, you're just like, well, I, 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 I'm, I crave, I crave it. So you pursue it in all of these other relationships. And I think that's what happened. She did not mean that to happen. In high school and college, I thought that's what she was trying to communicate. And so I was very bitter and frustrated with her. And, um, and that was not healthy. In hindsight, I now know that what she was really saying was, you're smart, you're capable, you could, I know you could do better if you tried a little harder. Mm. She was challenging you. In a way of complimenting, and yeah. complimenting me at the same time, I think. I just didn't understand that at all. Mm. And, and um, I only sort of started to figure that out in the last 10 years, really, 15 years maybe, that idea that, no, it was my early 20s, 22, 23, when I finally realized that's really what was going on. And so, you know, the last 20 years have been really good. My relationship with my mom has, I think, gotten fantastic because I don't believe that. I know we have much Mm -hmm. more of a great relationship. So part one of it is, yeah, I think that I can trace through my whole childhood of, all of those friendships and relationships that I had where I would sort of become a chameleon and try to, I would emulate those people, who they were, how they acted, what they were interested, how they dressed, how they talked, their mannerisms. I would, mm-hmm. I would take on 
those friendships from an early age because in my mind, that was the what I had to do to be accepted by those people. Mm-hmm. If you're like these people, you like their things, they'll like you, you're like them. And you, and I would, that carried through most of my life that, and, um, I can, I can really clearly see that pattern now in the moment mm. you don't see it as much. I, I love what, um, and I know a lot of people don't like Enneagram, but, um, I loved Enneagram because Enneagram was the first time I read something that sort of put those pieces together for me that, that made me sort of, uh, I guess it, it helped me to know that I wasn't a freak because they're the Enneagram number three, um, who, who struggles with being the actor or the, the, the role player basically. And what they tend to do is they, in their different context, they take on the persona, the, their chameleon basically wherever they are hmm. so they can adapt, they can become, they can fit in with any role that they are part of. And you can use that really well in business, in relationships. The problem is I have done that my whole life where I have basically molded myself into where I, where I was to try to fit in as well as I could so that they would like, they would value me so that mm-hmm. I could be accepted into that context. The problem is it was all disingenuous. Out of, it was all out of fear. And as they talk about in the book, one of the, one of the things that happens is if you do this too long, you basically have no self-identity. Mm. You, you've, you've played so many roles for so long, you really don't have a personal identity. And that's what happened to me probably the last 10 years, mm. realizing I, I don't know who I am. I, I, was, I was not able to say, this is me. I like this. Well, but you like that because of this person and you got into the, and you, you like this and you're interested in this and everything was tied to something I took on from somebody else. So when I kind sure. of stripped all this stuff away, I had no identity. It was, I don't even know who I am. So yeah. I think that, that portion did develop a little bit from my growing up experience. But then I think as I got older, you can kind of probably tell I I embraced it and it was something that I took with me wherever I was that idea of trying to meet expectations because you get Mm -hmm. into this mode of just believing this is what I have to do. Mm -hmm. It's either this or like I shared in the first episode in the very end, or you get shown for what you really are and what you really are is unlovable, worthless. Nobody would want to be around you or anything. So the alternative to that is pretend away and see how it goes for you basically. In a way, I was thinking it was kind of, it, it's almost mathematical in a way. Or black and white. It's, it, it's either there or it's not. If you, if you think about if meeting an expectation, you either meet it or you don't. Yeah. And you can easily uh, make that choice and suffer the consequences one way or the other. I don't know. Um, but when you don't have to worry about meeting that expectation, it's kind of puts you in a, weird unfamiliar territory in a way that you don't have control of you're just in a state of being loved yeah yeah basically yeah yeah it's it's a very satisfying place to be Mm -hmm. but you're right it does i mean it's it's almost like you um you think of yourself as sufficient and if you can do something Mm-hmm. measure up to a different s- standard or, or accomplish something fine. But if you can't, that's fine. I'm mm-hmm. sufficient with where I am. And so it's a different approach. You can, you can say, Oh, I'm going to pursue this. If I fail, no big deal. I right. failed. I'm it's good. Because you are in control of what the outcome is. You're in control of if you do what the expectation is, then you get this result. You're in control of if you don't do what the expectation is, then you get this result. Right. But if you're just in that state of being accepted, you're not in control of that because it's the other person that's accepting you. Yeah. And being okay with that, mm-hmm. which means you're going to find that some people, they're not interested in being your friend. It's not vindictive or anything. It's right. just the reality. And that's, that's life. It doesn't mean you're a horrible person. It just means they're, they're just not interested. Mm-hmm. That's okay. <laughs> so one, th- one, one thing you said made me think when you're talking about how, what your mom would say about you're not being good enough and you're seeing one thing, she meaning another because you had different 
I guess it's better to say what you're seeing one thing because you can say glasses, but if you're hearing one thing, you're saying you, you have a faulty oh, hearing yeah, aid kind of yeah. thing. But anyway, yeah. I know you probably get sick and tired of my analogies. No, um, they're good because they, they, they get me. They make this is part of why I wanted you to do this because you think about things in a way that I don't necessarily think about them. That's good for me. So what that made me think of though is I have that with my wife sometimes in that she says something meaning one thing, and I hear something completely different yeah. because of a filter that I'm going in with preconceived notions, like what you did with your, your filter saying, I'm not good enough, therefore I'm not loved. So I, I hear what my wife says when she says something completely different means something else, and I receive it as a third way. That's usually negative towards me because that's how I'm, I'm processing it at the time. So my question to you is, did you have that experience with your wife, one, or two, did you have that experience with anybody else other than your mom, i.e. hearing them say one thing, you hearing another thing that is self-deprecating, and you building on what you're hearing I mean, the answer to the first part is, yeah, I, I definitely something that, that I brought into my marriage for sure. Cause by that time I had built this edifice <laughs> and this persona of, of who I was. And it was like the strong Christian husband leader, all of these things, you know? And so I took that persona into my marriage, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Um, and, and that led to us basically having a marriage that we just never dealt with anything that was difficult ever, emotionally mm. difficult. And she struggles with that a little bit too. So you take two people who are afraid of being either rejected or of disappointing the other person, and you get a, a great marriage of people who never fight about anything ever. Everything's just beautiful and amazing all the time, but internally we're struggling with things. And um, so, yeah, I definitely took all of that. But I took that into every relationship. Mm-hmm. That's part of, I used to wonder, like, I would watch friends get married. And I was rarely part of the wedding. And I always wanted mm-hmm. to be. And I used to wonder, why is it that, you know, all of these other people and those friends, they all seem like they connect and they're really good friends. And I always felt like I was on the outside of a lot of that. Mm-hmm. This is why, because I had built this sort of edifice. But the problem is, is when you do that in those relationships, people, whether they cognitively know this or not, you've, you've sort of created this barrier between you and everybody else. They'd never mm. get to know who you are mm-hmm. because whether they can pinpoint or not, they know something's off. Mm. They're not, they're not really getting access. There's not a connection. To, yeah. There's, they're not really getting access. And what they are getting access to is what you're allowing them access to, which is quite frankly, Mm -hmm. Uh, ridiculous because it's like this you know semi-perfect strong christian man who knows all the right answers and does all these things who wants that i mean that's just and people know when they're being loved and when they're being conned typically and why do do i want to be a friend with somebody that knows all the right answers i want to know all the right answers i want to be that when it's very it's (laughs) and it's very uh it's just very self-focused right the whole thing but you're so busy looking at yourself that it's hard to look at other people in those contexts, but um, mm-hmm. anyways, yeah. So it did. It went into the, it went into the marriage. It went into all my relationships. The more I look back, I I think every one of my relationships had a heavy element of me always being afraid mm. of being who whatever I was, and I think all of them had a heavy element of me hiding, creating personas, pretending in areas, and it was the same thing. Um, I don't. I don't think I can identify any where I felt like I was being completely authentic mm. with anybody. I, yeah, that's that's a new thing for me. Even in our marriage, we've been working on it for the last 10, 15 years. About 10, actually. So it's gotten significantly better in our marriage. But um, it takes draft, drastic circumstances to the point where you actually have to face those things yeah. and begin to deal with those. And, and God has blessed it, which is great, but... Yeah, I sort of feel like 40 years of my life of relationships are, they're just not real mm. because of me, not because of them. And it's not that there weren't good things. That's, that's something I'm very good at, being very critical of myself in thinking like, well, 
there was no value to these relationships because I was just a fraud, you know, in so many ways. It's not true. There was a lot of good, authentic stuff there, but um, it's hard for me to weed through that. It's it's very nebulous mm-hmm. to look back and say, well, what of that was authentic and what of that was me just pretending? Mm. So I, I will probably have to deal with that the rest of my life. I've sort of accepted that that's the consequence of what I did and how I did it is mm-hmm. there's just going to be that. And I sort of have to say, okay, enough, start over, try to be honest and authentic from here, which is part of the reason the podcast was so appealing because I wanted there to be an authenticity to it, True. the, the good and the bad. And let's, let's just be honest and it's okay. Let's, let's just be authentic with mm-hmm. each other. So how has your, we don't want to say wake up call, but your, um, I guess eureka moment of realizing that you weren't really living out a place of you being lovable. How has that affected your relationships, your relationships with your wife, your kids, being a father, or has it? Oh, yeah, yeah, drastically. I, I can't remember, honestly... If we talked about the 2012, 2014 in podcast episode one, or if we started that in there when it got cut off, that was sort of the point where I think things began to change in some ways. Mm -hmm. If I didn't... We touched on it in episode one. We did? Okay, great. Mm -hmm. So that, that being asked to leave ministry and then spending two years with my wife going, what is wrong with us? Like, what, what is going on? Because we really didn't... What ended up coming out was that was the first time she and I both began to see that we had avoided each other, that we were afraid. That mm-hmm. was the first time we really honestly talked with each other about that issue of these things we just never spoke about, the fears that we had even with each other. And and it started gradually, but it's been slowly getting better and better and better. And that really has come about, I think, God miraculously working in our hearts to be less fearful with each other. Mm. And the crazy thing was... We had no reason to be fearful of each other. There was nothing that happened at any point in our life, dating, marriage, or anything. Yes, we dated. We didn't court. Um, oh, I know. And This there is was a n- homeschooling <laughs> podcast. <laughs> there was nothing that happened. There was no reason. We just came into it with our own preset fears that we were unwilling to risk. You know, it's mm-hmm. like when you have something... It could be false, but you're so terrified of the idea that you won't even address the possibility that it could be false. So we never even addressed the possibility that, oh, we could be honest and open with each other and that's okay and it would be fine. So it's been getting significantly better, but there's those mile markers, or apexes, like you say. The 2012, 2014 was a massive one for mm. us because it was that that act of, of pure love on Dan's part to say, I see something, trust me, do this. And God did bless that. He opened our eyes at that point. It was like the door opening for the first time in our life. And it's been perpetually, but we have to work at it. Like mm. We still have to work at that, having those honest conversations with each other. And it's still a struggle because it's just different. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were married for a long time before we ever started actually talking with each other. So it's something we've been learning to do. But that was a huge moment for us. And there were other, you know, smaller ones that really like pushed us further and further. So it's been exciting because I feel like I've gotten to know my wife more mm. and more and enjoy our marriage more and more because I feel like I am loved and accepted in Mm. it. And I think she feels like she is loved and accepted in it way more. So it's, it's actually marriage has gotten better and better for us in 20, 20 years later now, which is Mm. also bizarre to think. The other big apex was, was moving to Tennessee from California because that was, that was one of those moments where I think we had gotten to a point in our, in our life where we felt like for whatever reason, the, the the kinds of relationships we had were going to be what they were mm. and they were not going to change. And that was the same time we were starting to look more and more at our lives and each other. And I was processing through things. So this is, this is five years ago, five, six years ago, where we really started to look at things and realize there is a stagnation in our relationships here. Mm-hmm. And that's not criticizing anybody. It was just, it was as much of us as anything. And we longed f- ironically to be transplanted and my wife even had this sense of 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 literally being a in a pot 
and roots pressing to the side of this pot and being incapable of growing anymore because the Mm. pot was just crushing her. That was how she felt. And out of the blue, moving from California to Tennessee where we didn't know anybody and leaving job, all of our family and everything. And why did you pick Tennessee? Well, because God (laughs) began to do these crazy things in our life where he would bring up Tennessee randomly all over the place, out of the blue, where I would go to... I would go to job sites and the subcontractor would start talking about Tennessee all of a sudden. And we would go to church and somebody would be talking about a farm he had in Tennessee. And it was just, it, it was to the point, it was hilarious. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I said, okay, God is trying to show us something, but we didn't know what. We mm-hmm. had discussed the idea of moving. A lot of people at that point had in California. Um, I guess she says Still she Still are. And it's way worse now. <laughs> And um, so we finally, I think in uh, February or March, said, okay, well, obviously God's saying something. So we need to go out and see if God shows us what we're supposed to do. And so we came out and we visited. And it was a horrible, horrible weekend because of the idea of leaving everything that we had ever known and Mm -hmm. go somewhere where we knew nothing. I don't mean this to sound like I'm comparable, but it felt like when God told Abraham to leave the land that you're in, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have you go to a land that I will show you. It it was just this crazy thing of leave everything we had built, our business, our, our relationships, our church, our ministry, everything, grandparents, my grandparents, my kids, great grandparents, mm-hmm. leave it all and go somewhere and you have no job, you have no home, you have nothing, you know, but that was that experience. We came here, we were especially my wife is just bereft at the idea of leaving. And one of the things we wanted to experience was going to a church where we knew nobody because we'd never experienced that. Mm. I had never experienced mm-hmm. that. So come here on a Friday, literally driving around middle Tennessee, wondering why we're here and um, go back to our place Saturday night that we were staying at. And my wife is just an emotional wreck I go online and randomly start looking up churches. We're staying in Murfreesboro. So for mm-hmm. frame of reference, 40 minutes away from where we are in Franklin here. And I look up uh, uh, churches. In Middle Tennessee, if you type in churches into a search engine, <laughs> the, the list. Yeah. I mean, we, and I don't know how it happened other than in hindsight. Now I know this was purely God. I'm scrolling through all these churches and mm-hmm. I land on Fellowship Bible Church Franklin a church that's 40 minutes away from where we're staying. Mm-hmm. So we drive and pass by, I don't know, a couple hundred different churches in Murfreesboro mm-hmm. and come to Fellowship Church Franklin for who knows whatever reason. We randomly show up here and um, we go in and we have this experience of walking into this church for the first time and going, this is overwhelming. And you go to the connection point, you go into the service. It's amazing. Just everything we had longed for with a church, the worship, the, the teaching time and everything, we go, go to church service, talk with some people, get back in the car, drive to the airport, fly home. We don't talk about the trip at all for a week. Wow. And um, a week later, I, I asked I ask my wife, Joy, what she thought about the trip and is basically horrible trip, uh, a mess emotionally, the idea of leaving everything, go to church, leave church, and am convinced we're supposed to move to Franklin, or we're supposed to go to this church, like that's what we're supposed to do is move yeah. and go to this church. Wow. Well, you could go to the church while still living in California. Just be a long commute. Just a huge commute. 2002 miles. And this is hilarious because she says this to me a week later. I'm walking out of that church that Sunday, utterly convinced we're supposed to move to Tennessee to go to this church. Wow. Do you remember what the service was? Ecclesiastes. It was the last chapter of Ecclesiastes. I think Lloyd was teaching. And, um, that was this moment, and, and here's why this was important to us. That was a moment that it was probably one of the first times where we felt like God did something that was for us. Mm-hmm. Not the community, not the church, not the body of Christ, me and my family mm. alone. It was so personal. I, I It's hard to think of a time where I felt like God did something that was just so personal. Like we... We talk about God so much that he's almost gets treats as, treated like a, like a philosophical concept. Mm-hmm. But to experiencing something from God like that was one of those, God is 
like literally doing something in our family and our family alone right now. Mm. And it was so powerful for us as a family. And we, okay, we're moving to Tennessee. And we told our friends and family we're moving to Tennessee and we moved, um, we came back and looked at houses. There's more to that, that it was like God did so many things that were remarkable down to the, the house we ended up living in, the job I have now. And we moved, uh, I think that June. Mm. Yeah, I think we, yeah, we, we moved. And so I say that to say that when you talk about those moments, that and us coming here, I think was what God, God moving out of us, uh, us out of a context where we almost couldn't grow. Mm-hmm. It was our own fault. And coming here, and I jump into this group with you guys, and he blows open my heart and my mind mm. in a way that I didn't even know I needed. So to me, th- those things had just been going on. And then now in that freedom, allowing God to do what he's doing in my life in that freedom is even more remarkable because it's continuing to help not only our marriage, but my relationships with people because I can I can develop relationships here in honesty, I think, in authenticity. I'm, I'm not as concerned and scared that, you know, they're going to find out the, the, the dark side of me and the things I struggle with and my mm-hmm. insufficiencies. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so great. And I don't feel like people are judging me for that. And that's something I, I, I never really believed life could be like that for me. Mm. Um, so it's, it's been really remarkable for, for us. So mm-hmm. that's a very long explanation, I guess. But, but to answer your question, yeah, it's, it's been something that's been growing and I think God is continuing to allow it to grow, especially with the new relationships we have. Um, How about with your kids? Yeah. I mean, if it definitely feels right down into the kids as well. Um, Do you, do you think that have they sensed a change or seen a change in you and, or experienced um, maybe how it's affected your parenting them or how you relate to them? Yeah, there you go, you know, doing what you do. Um, I don't know. I have never, I have never thought about that. Hmm. I have never thought about that, whether whether they see a difference. I don't know. Yeah, I really don't have any idea. I would love to believe that they do, mm-hmm. but... They're still young. And I mean, I don't know. I, I started to teach reason to drive yesterday. So that, that's, <laughs> it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel yeah, young yeah. to me. It's like, Oh no, oh, yeah. no, no, no. And she does great. But how old is she? A, she's about to turn 15. You're starting early. Oh yeah. I mean, she's got to get a job and everything too. Again, from episode one, this is the way I grew up. So yeah. I'm looking at kids I make my kids work like dogs and they're amazing at this, but I'm, and they're out there in hundred degree weather doing manual labor in the backyard. That's, that's what I grew up with. You're talking, you're saying that like, this is a problem. It's different than what I see, but it's, it's healthy. This way I grew up was you you work, you know, I, and my wife's good at helping to restrain this because I would probably have my kids do less school and just go work and learn Mm. trades at 13, 14, 15, like I believe they're capable and I've seen amazing things if so, but it's probably not the best thing, but I I come from that, but that's partly why I just have this. We worked, Mm -hmm. we did things not in a negative way. It was great. I'm so glad my parents made us mowing lawns and doing all these things. Like we didn't have it easy. We didn't, I don't think we ever had an allowance. You wanted money. You fit, you work, you mow neighbors lawns. You, that's the way it was. You didn't get anything. I had to buy my own car by my own insurance, that's the way it was. And I'm really, really grateful that they raised us that way because I the value, I was blown away. My my daughter yesterday came out, I was moving a ton of gravel and she came out and she was making a comment about um, my work ethic, mm-hmm. my super duper high work ethic. And I got to talk with her about why that's important to me and how that reflects on who we are and what our values are. It was mm-hmm. really, really neat. I, yeah, so... So are you, are you going to make her pay for insurance and gas and... Oh, yeah. She has a job interview next week. Great. Where at? Um, Mafiosas. Oh, awesome. Because yeah, our, our friend is the manager, so he's very graciously going to let us have her go in an interview, mm-hmm. and she would just start in the back. And Yeah. But that's, she's already thinking entrepreneurially, which is hilarious. She's got a lot of business ideas already. Oh, that's, a, that's amazing. Whatever she wants to do. But um, yeah, she's. I think she has this concept of, I can do whatever, like... If I want to do it and I want to work at so it, I can she, do it. It's really so cool. she would have been 11, 12 
when you went through the when you went through this three years ago, twelve. Yeah. So she right so about. she pro- she probably could have seen and maybe made that observation. I was thinking the other the other kids might be. Yeah, I think the youngest James probably wouldn't. Um, I don't know about Luke. She might. It would be interesting to ask her. But yeah, I'd never considered. I'd never considered if they'd seen a different. To me, it's so much about me trying to rest in sort of the grace that God has given in me being just what I am. And I guess I don't look at some of those things as much anymore. I think Mm -hmm. before I would have been consumed by what do these people think of me? What do these people think of me? What do they think of me? I have a lot less of that now. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I might have to ask her. That's a really good question. Yeah, that's a really good question. So how has kind of in the same vein, what you've experienced with, um, in realizing what you have in the past and healed from or are healing from or realizations that you've made, how has that affected how you have parented your kids? Whether it be in homeschooling or other decisions that you've made. I remember this. I remember this time when I was concerned about what one of my sons was wearing And it dawned on me that I was concerned because of how parents would look at him and therefore judge me. So Mm. I've seen some of those patterns and that was, that was probably, that was before we moved here. But, um, I don't know all of the ways those things happen, but I know those things were happening. I think I was kind of oblivious. Again, if Mm -hmm. you, if you look, if you look at your struggles in the face you kind of have to deal with it. And Mm -hmm. and so most of that stuff I never would look at. I would just intentionally avoid it. So a lot of the negative, I know it was there in those kinds of ways, um, probably in ways I never even had realized. I do know now there's a conscious effort to have more honest conversations with my kids, whatever the age they are. Mm -hmm. And um, that has definitely made a difference. There is a freedom to not have to have things a certain way which means your kids can be what they are. They can dress how they want for the most part. They, as long as they are kind and respectful, there, there's a freedom there because now you're not worried as much that people are looking at your kids and judging you, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people struggle with that, wanting their kids to look a certain way because ultimately they're going to be judged by how their kids are being judged. And mm-hmm. people, so they use their kids sometimes in that way. I think that's a pretty common thing for parents to maybe struggle with that. I know we did. Or I did. I don't know if my wife did as much. She might have. Um, but yeah, there's a lot less of that. So that it gives you a freedom to engage your kids without trying to get them to conform to a certain pattern or stereotype, whether mm-hmm. that's like, uh, you know, playing sports or not playing sports, involved in certain academic things or not. And, mm-hmm. you know, do they go to all these camps? Do they do all this? Who cares? At the end of the day, who cares? What mm-hmm. What's best for them is best for them and, and to not look at whether other people are looking from the outside and approving or disapproving. Um, but it also giving, pe- giving me the freedom to have conversations with them where I'm willing to admit things I struggled with or things I've gone through and not being worried about it has been really cool. Mm. Just to be able to have these honest, especially with my daughter because she's old enough, she is old enough to really have, and she is brilliant. She is a deep thinker and she is very wise and it's been amazing to be able to have real heart-to-heart conversations and share things and have and not have a concern about it mm-hmm. so yeah it's been really neat it's been really neat so i think i think it's had that effect with all my relationships at least as far as i can tell do you think that that has encouraged her to be more open or vulnerable with other people by seeing your example I'd like to believe so. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to answer that. Like, I guess I the only way you'd know. know would be if she was open and vulnerable with you. I guess that's which really she the only is way actually. Should, and that's one of the things I love is 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 I can engage her on deep questions. We had we had we had a whole discussion about her um, perspective on 
homosexuality and and gay lesbian lifestyle abortion like it was really neat mm-hmm. to just sit with her and hey, what do you think about this and have her processing through and and sharing personal stuff about what she was thinking about different things and mm-hmm. I love that so it, it feels to me like she has been she is open and honest with us um, but it also feels like it's I don't know. It feels like it's, it's, it's so new anyways, you know, she's still just becoming this young woman. Mm-hmm. So we, it, this is all new, even for me, this has only been a couple of years since, since our lives have really gotten to change in this way too. So I, I don't know, give me another 10 years of looking at this whole sure. thing. And yeah. hopefully the answer to that is distinctly. Yes. You know, Has, has uh, your experience, especially, I know we've talked about homeschooling, has your experience with homeschooling, what you went through affected your relationship with homeschooling now? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, how can it not, you know, I mean, it's when you grow up in that context, I think it absolutely, it, it affects a, a lot of different areas of your life and, and it's positive and negative of course. Like I think like most people's, um, we, we started out homeschooling. When we got married, so we have we have our three kids. When we started out, we were homeschooling our daughter, Reason. And I think we started a little bit with my son, Luke. I can't remember exactly. But that was the plan. Good experience with homeschooling, academically great, getting the getting to getting to help nurture our children in a way that really helped them to work through the the things we value and we think mm-hmm. are really important. And at the same time protecting them from what's happening in most public schools. Great. Let's do it. Um, so I think, yeah, there, there was this, my parents, I think did a good job in general of the homeschool experience for me. And I'm, I'm overall quite positive of it. Mm-hmm. The, the problem, and th- this will link back. The problem is I saw something happening with my daughter and my wife. That was the same thing that happened with my mom and I, mm. and that was this moment of what is going on. Oh my gosh, I know what this is. And, and what that was, was they became just very, it was always a contentious relationship between my daughter and my wife. And we, and we couldn't figure out why. What ultimately it was is the same thing that happened to me. And this is probably my biggest concern from the homeschool universe in general that I think doesn't get talked about. There is a dynamic that can take place where the relationship between the kids and their mother is no longer child mother, mm-hmm. it's child teacher. Mm-hmm. And this is what happened between my mom and I. She was teacher, not mom. Mm. And when you add that into that um, that desire to please, there was this lack of her being like a traditional sort of mother because she was so busy doing all these other things and and teaching us and doing her business and everything I don't mean that as a negative. This was just kind of the reality of what our life looked like. She didn't intend this to happen. But the reality is the more I looked back, she was, I had a teacher and I didn't have a mom. Mm. And that was what part of what was making this so painful for me and making us so at odds with each other was I, I, I know she's my mom, quote unquote, she's my mom, but my interaction with her is almost a hundred percent teacher student. And the more I've kind of looked back, almost everything I have memory wise of being with my mom is all teacher student. Mm. I almost have no memories of what I would consider like mother son. Mm -hmm. And again, that's just what happened. And, and, and I now know, you know, part of that's because of the way she was raised and having to take care of her brothers and sisters. She hardly ever got the opportunity to have a mother daughter relationship. You know, she was parent to her brothers and sisters a lot. And so Mm -hmm. I don't blame her at all, but that created that tension between us that I finally was able to pinpoint that's what was happening with my daughter and my wife. And it was so clear to me. And I, I, I explained this to my wife. I was like, I think I know what's going on. She wants a mother and all she's getting from you is you trying to be teacher to help her get through the school, to understand it, to figure it out, to get mm-hmm. the homework done, to grade it and everything. But when that is going poorly, who does she go to? She doesn't have a mother. Mm -hmm. She has to deal with teacher first. And if that dynamic is off or uncomfortable, what does she do? It's not the same to go to dad. Like I'm available, but they want to go to the mom. They want that nurturing. They want that, you know, go crying on her shoulder. I'm frustrated. I'm overwhelmed. When that role is not there, 
I've seen that too many times in homeschool communities and relationships. So mm. um, needless to say, we saw that said, well, the mother daughter relationship is way more important. We're stopping. We stopped homeschooling. We did a, I think we did a Christian charter school just to try something else. We put them all. Mm -hmm. It instantly changed everything for the better. Wow. Like just instantly. My son thrives in structured environments. Mm -hmm. He thrives with other teachers. Um, and it, I mean, just he, that's, he thrives. My daughter instantly did better. Her relationship with my wife improved dramatically and it's been fantastic ever since. We've never gone back. Wow. And it's not that we won't ever, but we sort of go year by year and looking at our lives and saying, well, there's value to homeschooling, but, but there's no way we can sacrifice that relationship just to homeschool. Mm -hmm. And so we tried pub when we moved here, they did public school, which was actually really good for them in a lot of ways. And this year we're doing a, there's kind of a crazy mixture of a private tutorial, which is with other students and kind of a classroom environment, but it's Christian. Mm -hmm. And my son is back in public school this year for junior high, which is also a terrifying thought. <laughs> but he thrives in those contexts so well. And I don't mean there has to be this setting aside of this idea that the homeschool is about that, that education. That is part of it. But it's also about the overall spiritual character well-being of your child. Mm -hmm. And so for me... If we are doing what I think we're supposed to do as parents, which is nurturing, caring, raising our children on a spiritual level, then them going into the public school context is fine. Right. I don't have an issue with that. Mm -hmm. They're doing they're doing great. It doesn't mean this that that next year we don't do something different. Exactly. We're kind of like always looking and like, okay, well, what's the better thing right now? And honestly, I think that's a different way of approaching it because you're looking at, at what is the best thing for each individual child. Right. As and what's the best way for that individual child to learn? Honestly, that's yeah. the thought process for many of going into home education anyway. That's right. So you're just applying that same thought process, coming out to a different conclusion. Yeah. And I do have to say, you're absolutely right. What ties into that is that I never felt like my mom had an expectation of us homeschooling. Which That's was good. really cool. That's never, good. She never did that. She was so good in that regard. So when we, when we didn't homeschool anymore, I never felt like she was ashamed or mm -hmm. disappointed. She, she valued what we were doing and why we were doing it. And mm -hmm. looking back, that's been her consistently. She was focused on, well, have you thought this through? Mm -hmm. Do you have good reasons? Are you rationally doing something that you think is best? Can you justify it? Have you thought through it? And as long as that was there, she's highly respectful of mm -hmm. it. But if you were just all willy-nilly doing something for no good reason, she would come down and challenge you on it, which in hindsight is really good. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing yeah. too is you're still overseeing their education. Yeah. What's changed is not the fact that you're not overseeing. You've always been overseeing their education. You're overseeing them. You might have changed the mode of education, but you're still ultimately responsible and you're taking that responsibility seriously. My wife more than I, because I, again, if you kind of put the pieces together, I have this sort of, we're going to teach them to read and write. We're going to teach them math and introduce them to a few other things like, but otherwise we're going to make them read a lot. They're going to read mm -hmm. histories and all these other things. They can read whatever. And then they're going to learn how to work because for me in my mindset, all of the education in the world doesn't necessarily teach anybody how to be any any sort of functioning uh, worker, mm -hmm. whether it's creating your own business or working for somebody else, these two are almost bifurcated, it seems like. So you get all these mm -hmm. people who have these incredible educations, can't do almost anything functional right. as a business or in a company. And for me, I'd rather raise kids that are voracious readers, which is my wife is, and she has an amazing, so my kids are voracious, voracious, voracious readers. You can learn anything loquacious. between YouTube and books. You can learn anything you want. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. But learning how to learn, learning how to work mm -hmm. and, and, and work hard and, and try things and, and imagine things and, um, think outside the box and be, be willing to risk. Yeah. That's huge. To me, that's more important than a bachelor degree or learning these things over here. And if they decide they want to learn those things, no problem. Like my son is all engineer. 
mm-hmm. he's probably going to continue with schooling. He loves it. He thrives in it. He seems very focused on engineering type things. Mm-hmm. No problem. School makes a ton of sense for you, son. Pursue it. Or go and create your own company and learn engineering and he's going to be doing programming. Yeah. You know, great, do it. But I would probably kick kids around 14, 15 out and like, okay, you're like the farming hey. mentality. Hey. Go work. You can, there's a, there's, you a re- there's a reason that Rod and staff ends at eighth grade. Very. Yes. That's probably much more me, but my <laughs> wife is, my wife is the bachelor's degree. She yeah. is a teacher, brilliant, brilliant woman. And so she has a lot of those. So it's so funny. Mm-hmm. We're, you'll like this. We did our marriage counseling. Um, and they give you tests. They love to give you tests. Mm-hmm. So we do our test that's supposed to determine potential danger areas or um, compatibility issues. And this was Christian. Mm-hmm. And we took the test and they they give you your results separate. Then they bring you together and they, they show us and they graph it. You know, and you get mm-hmm. these up and down lines like this. So they put the R2 test together. They are polar opposites <laughs> in every single way. <laughs> And they literally tell us, you guys aren't supposed to get married because like, is it, they can't work because opposites you're attract. polar opposites. Yeah. But for me, that has been the best thing ever. Yeah. And a lot of, just like you said, there's just, there's a value to having somebody who's very different from you. And mm-hmm. I don't know that you can get more different than she and I are from each other. Well, the other thing that, that I realized as you, as you were talking about, not only are you teaching your kids to work, but you're also teaching them to think. I mean, having a, honest conversation with your daughter about very real hot button issues right now and them feeling safe to do so and maybe come up with ideas and thoughts and coming up with conclusions that you might not agree with. That's, I love that. That's very um, dangerous, but it's good. And, but so, I mean, our thing here, we want to, our kids to know not and teach them not what to think, but how to think. Right. You know, in the processes and come to your own conclusions. That's great. And it's interesting because you, you're a lawyer. And so you've been trained to be able to do that even on the whole nother level with people. And I've, I see mm-hmm. you do that with your kid. It's funny at church. I'll hear, especially you and Silas, you'll be having those conversations where you're not telling them what to think. He's making comments. You're challenging Mm-hmm. Back and forth. I love that. To me, that's that's what I want all my relationships to be like. I want there to be that element of, I, I want to help bring something to somebody's attention. I want them to do the same with me. I mm-hmm. want to discuss it back and forth. And and it's, you know, bounce off each other basically. Oh, yeah, to, definitely. To understand and work through things to have a better clarity of something. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Well, and that's one reason why I appreciate you wanting to do this podcast because, you know, bringing out, um, stories of all sorts of different people oh, yeah. and having long form discussions, long form discussions is where it's at. You know, you're, you're not going to have, you know, soundbite discussions and come out with anything profitable. It's, it's very rarely. I mean, you might get a Jordan Peterson comment here where you're like, yeah, but, then it blew but, my mind, but even but, then you need to know context. And so oh, sure, 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 then yeah. you have to have, you know, long form discussions. So, um, but I just appreciate you wanting to being willing to be open and vulnerable and come out to your own audience and say, here I am. And I was going to say in all my glory, but you know, it's <laughs> that's, not that's quite, terrible, <laughs> I know, <that's> right. <laughs> Edit that out. Pride, <laughs> shame cycle. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's the thing I think for me, I long for, I long for authentic relationship with people. I always have but I was so terrified of it. Mm-hmm. When I, when I see people, what I see is I see sort of, it's weird. It's hard to describe. I see relational connectivity when I go places. Mm-hmm. I see the way people interact, the way they look, the way they're acting, the way they're moving, the way they're talking in, in my brain immediately starts to connect things up relationally. Mm. And sounds like a beautiful mind. That's a great movie. I was like, wait, beautiful mind. I know this. I know this. I know this. It's, it's like, you it's, look at the map, it, the, yes. the map in his That's shape, a good example. You know? That's how it feels. And I feel like I'm going crazy sometimes because I'll walk into a room and it's like, that person is really hurting, this, you know? Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it, with freedom now, I just long to have those real authentic relationships, mm-hmm. but it's and now it's more. 
Now what I really long for is other people to be able to come into the same freedom mm -hmm. because what I see is people bound up the way I was and they're lonely and they, they want the same thing, but mm -hmm. we're so afraid of, of doing something that gets us, you know, shamed or yeah. looked down on that. I watch people live these constrained lives of, of, of loneliness and in a church context, mm -hmm. It's heartbreaking. It's the antithesis of everything that the church is and supposed to be as the body of Christ. We are, we are afraid. Mm -hmm. And so I, in my own freedom that I feel like God has blessed me with, I want others to have that same thing. And that means just honest, authentic conversations yeah. about things, whatever it is. Well, and honestly, I think that I first noticed that and, or came to that realization in going through the discipleship when I first went through it. Okay. And it was, you know what? All of us are screwed up. Yeah. We just are afraid to admit it. Yep. Let's admit it. And we can encourage each other and help each other. And we can be screwed up together. Yep. And accept it. So. I just had this conversation with my daughter. She's afraid, you know, if people were, if they were, she doesn't want to be noticed because she didn't want people to see her and look down on her or judge mm -hmm. her or anything like that. And I said, Reason. Her name is Reason. You have to understand that everybody in general, let's say, is doing the same thing you're doing. They're all so worried about what everybody else is thinking mm -hmm. that they're not actually doing what you think they're going to do. I said, that's, that's the way that we spiritually sort of live our lives is we take all of these things we've grown up with. And in general, we, we are almost in these fear boxes where we, we are so afraid just be our broken authentic selves. Mm -hmm. And and in the context of the homeschooling, I think where that came out was if you're if you're afraid to let people see a negative No, no, let me say it differently. We can be afraid to let people see a negative lest it destroy the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like sometimes in the homeschool world that's sort of the mentality is we, we're not willing to talk about things that could be a negative for fear that what we're saying is, well, homeschooling is terrible. You can't do it because of this thing. And I think people tend to do the same thing with themselves. Mm -hmm. If people see a negative in me, the whole thing's bad. Mm -hmm. They're going to baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, very much so. Instead of going, oh, there's something that's not as positive, mm -hmm. but that's just one thing. Yep. And let's just be honest about it. And maybe there's a way to help it improve or grow or maybe we just need to be aware of it so we can navigate our way around it mm -hmm. you know and so like for for us we were we were looking at if we do homeschooling again how do you navigate around the main issue of the relational dynamic we have no solution if we have a solution we look at it again but right now there's no solution we can find that makes it work and solves that issue and my re the relationship between my wife and daughter is way too important to me to, mm -hmm. to school at that point, I don't care. I want that relationship to be all that God has made it to be. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, easy moving on. We're going to do something else and maybe that'll change. But I think if we look at each other the same way and say, we're all broken in some ways, but we're all incredible in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to have good relationships with each other, but yep. there's sort of a faith step that has to take place first for us. I think. Mm -hmm. Well, how would you like to close this out? Any words of encouragement that you want to give to your listeners? I, I've kind of feel like I just did it. Like that's the heart I think of where a lot of like, that sounds weird. That's sort of my heart mm -hmm. for a lot of life now with the podcast and with my relationships, sort of whatever they are. I just, I want there to be that willingness. And it's great because I briefly mentioned, but there's a couple of the podcasts I've already done where you hear the authenticity out of especially there's one of the young ladies that did it. It was just so incredibly encouraging because she was real mm. and there's some positive, there's some negative, but w when you hear it, it has that feel of there is a freedom in the vulnerability mm -hmm. that she shares. And so that's, that's big picture what I long for. So I, I kind of feel like it, it sort of concluded itself fairly nicely in that capacity, at least. For so me. I think that when you see one person being vulnerable, it's easy er for you to be vulnerable. So listeners take advantage and take the example that you've heard from Matt here. Allow yourself to be introspective, but also allow yourself to be vulnerable. 
you will be amazed at the results. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very true. It just takes a step of faith. It really does. And, Mm -hmm. but don't live in fear. Yeah. The freedom it's, it's worth it. I mean, you can't be free if we're not going to be honest. Yep. We just can't. So very true. Wow. Thank you for doing this for me. It's so weird because there's this like, well, how do you, how do you wrap up something when you're so used to wrapping up something like we should almost Rochambeau for it. But let me just say thank you because that's, you did exactly what I was hoping, which is you were willing to kind of see things from the outside and ask questions. And they were good questions because I wasn't sure how do you get, how do you get somebody to get you to say things when you don't know exactly what you should say, but you have ideas. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate you being sure. willing to do this. I can't wait to turn the table on you <laughs> and your wife. Um, real quick, if, if people want to s- learn more about what you and your wife are doing, would you mind uh-huh. just really quick, do a quick plug for yourself? Sure. Uh, my wife's available at moneysavingmom.com or on the Money Saving Mom on the Instagram. Um, I'm at Jesse Payne on Instagram and, uh, I have a personal Facebook page, but don't do a whole lot there. So that's about to the ways that you can reach us. So she, she's got some books also out there that you might be interested in if you're crystal paints. It's with the C, right? C R Y C R Y S T A L. Yeah, pain. P-A- There's some really P-A-I-N-E. neat stuff. We were just talking about the books, with the, the yep. loving love centered parenting, and she's got that's new an, one coming that, out. You know, love centered parenting. That's an awesome book that um, the her that was her last book. Then she's got a new one coming out, but love center parenting is, uh, honestly touching on, on a lot of things like what we talked about today. Oh, and, um, just in lessons that we've learned through the past number of years about parenting our kids and the journey that we've gone through with foster care and, um, loving other people well, and, uh, truly parenting out of a space of love and not of fear or of expectations of others. So what a coincidence. Yep. See, I can't wait to, uh, I can't wait to do yours and get you guys together and discuss. I've never talked to crystal, by the way, ever <laughs> seen her, never yep. talked with her, but I can't wait to get to do that because I, the same thing. I want to hear your guys' story because we have a lot of similarities, but mm-hmm. there's a lot I haven't heard. So yep. be exciting. Yep. Well, thank you. Thank I appreciate you. it, Jesse. Thank you. I appreciate it.